Hello there, Agora Bible Fellowship Online. We are so glad that you joined us today. My name is Josh. I'm one of the pastors here. Have a few brief announcements before we get into God's Word. The first thing that we wanted to say is that, man, here at ABF, our hope is that everyone has a local body of believers, a local church that they are attached to wherever you live. So our hope and uh, really why we are providing this online online service is if you just want some extra additional teaching throughout the week, yeah, come and dive into God's Word. Or if you're out of town, we hope that you'll enjoy this online service today. A few things to share is the first, we would love to pray for you. If there's anything going on in life, man, prayer works. Prayer matters. Uh, the Lord bends down to listen to us. It's amazing. And we would love to pray for you this week. So what you can do is you can text a prayer request to 97,000. We'll get back to you and we will be sure to be praying for you even this week. Go ahead and text 97,000. We'd love to do that. If you are interested in all the different things that are going on here at ABF in Agora Hills, California, go ahead and check out the website, agorabible.org, or get our app, Church Center app, and uh, lots of things going on over the next few weeks and months. Uh, I'm sure there are whenever you're watching this, uh, so check out the website for more information on that. Lastly, just wanted to say thank you so much for those of you that give. And if you're interested in supporting the ongoing ministries here at ABF, uh, man, be such a huge blessing. You can give on the website under the Give tab or on the app as well. Well, that's it for me. Let's just get into God's Word. Here we go. Well, welcome online church family. Thanks for joining us on this Mother's Day weekend. And a special thank you to all of our wonderful moms and uh, just so grateful for the investment that you've given personally, my own mom and my own life, my own wife and our kids, uh, the investing in them. And uh, that's about all about this sermon <laughs> that has to do with moms, though. I was trying to think about like how to transition to talking about meltdowns and how to talk about Saul's life. I guess the only thing I would say is let's pray that none of our kids grow up to be a Saul. So basically, what you realize as you're parenting is there's different uh, markers along the way that help you get a sense of like, how, how are our kids doing? How are they developing? How are they maturing? Uh, we've had little glimpses of encouraging things with our kids and then things not so encouraging. But I remember once uh, when my uh, son was young, he's probably five or six years old, and uh, he was in one room and my uh, daughter Alexa was in the other room and my daughter Alexa had gotten into trouble for something. I have no idea what it was for. And I was in the middle of one of those talks that maybe uh, if you're a parent, you remember giving where you'd have to say, hey, listen, Alexa, do you need a spanking? Is that what it's going to take for you to, to learn not to do that again? And you're kind of threatening it, but you're not necessarily going to uh, do it. But I remember uh, hearing from the other room, I remember hearing my son Chase at only age five or six, he starts yelling, give her grace, dad, give her grace. I'm like, all right, he's understanding. But the, the funny thing was to see what Alexa's response was, no, daddy, don't give me grace. Don't give me grace because she obviously, whatever Chase would have been wishing on, upon her, he, she wanted nothing to do with that. And so it's kind of a, a funny story of just uh, the progression of maturity that hopefully is happening, that kids start to understand God and how they relate to the, the world around them and our need for grace and forgiveness 
forgiveness. And really, as we kind of progress through life, there's still, if you think about it, there's still markers that kind of help us determine kind of where our maturity is at. I was reading this week kind of an interesting thought, a great indicator of adult maturity is how they handle power that has been entrusted for them to steward. It's a very concerning thing when you see someone with power, influence, or authority leverage it for their benefit to the neglect of the people they were entrusted to lead. Now, you think about that, that's what's so frustrating as we watch different governments, different leaders, different people in positions of power take advantage of their position and mistreating those below them or uh, really in general squandering their role and responsibility. And if you think about the story of Saul, if you're familiar at all with it, it's really, that is it in a nutshell. Unfortunately, he demonstrates just a display of of immaturity and self-centeredness that's just uh, really uh, saddening and disheartening. And it's something that I believe, and we're in this topic of meltdown, it's something that we can uh, learn from as, again, another cautionary tale in Scripture. If you think about that, if uh, this story gives you a glimpse not just of, uh, of jealousy and misuse of power, it also gives you a glimpse of kind of the, the pattern of how sin tends to work in our life. I was listening to a pastor by the name of Colin Smith this past week, and uh, he was talking about the, making the observation that often sin begins with an impulse in our heart. And that's really where our story begins today. Let me pray before we dive into 1 Samuel chapter 18. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for this chance to, to gather and learn. We want to be students of your word and students of uh, cautionary tales and, story, and also students of successes, God. We ask that now that you'd speak to us, that you'd uh, just work these things into our hearts and really with a, a clearer picture of how sin works, uh, can better equip us on how to resist, how to flee temptation, how to uh, squelch sin before it, it takes root and has impact in our life, God. I just, I just pray that this would be a, a teachable time for us in your word. In Jesus Christ's name I pray, amen. All right, so as I mentioned, we're gonna start in 1 Samuel chapter 18, and this is beginning in verse six. I'll give a little context to what's going on after we look at these first couple of verses. It says, as they were coming home, when David returned from striking down the Philistine, the women came out of all the cities of Israel, singing and dancing to meet King Saul with tambourines, with songs of joy, and with musical instruments. And the women sang to one another as they celebrated, Saul has struck down his thousands and David his ten thousands. All right, we'll pause there just to kind of co connect some dots of where we're at in the story of David. David's actually one of the most familiar stories, uh, David and Goliath, of, of any account in Scripture. Basically, this is right after he's defeated Goliath and led Israel into a, a major victory over their greatest enemy, the Philistines. And you see that they're coming back, 
and there's a celebration. We're told that all of the ladies from all of the cities or, or, or towns in Israel started coming out and they're singing, they're playing instruments and they're, they're chanting something. Now, what do you observe? What do you notice is the problem with their celebration? What, what, what do you notice? Well, who, is it, who is it giving uh, celebration to and who is it not? You notice by what they're making a big deal about, the Saul has struck down his thousands and David his ten thousands. Who is not mentioned in that description? There's no mention of God. There, there's no description of, oh man, thank you God for your rescue and how you took this little knucklehead shepherd boy and, and defeated a giant. Obviously there's something supernatural going on behind the scenes. Where is that in the celebration? If you think about it, when Christians get focused on the people that God uses rather than God himself, you know that there's some misdirected worship. They're misplacing their confidence. And that's exactly what's taking place here. And here's the unfortunate thing is their faithless song actually creates a snare for Saul's ego. It actually fans the flame of, of jealousy in his heart. You think about that when someone praises someone else in the area that you are gifted in as well, there's a tendency for comparison. And there's a, a, a it leaves us vulnerable for jealousy. The enemy will draw your attention to a person that's in your field or in your area of expertise that's a little bit better than you, that's a little bit more eloquent, that's a little bit more prepared, that's maybe seen a little bit more success. Whatever arena there is, trust me, at some point you will cross path with your superior. That's exactly what takes place here. By definition, jealousy like this description is a feeling of resentment, bitterness, or hostility towards someone who has something that you don't have, or just a measure greater than what you have. See, jealousy, if you think about it, in a sense, is hating God's will. It's saying, well, wait a second, what about me? What I deserve? Why is no one noticing me and my accomplishments? What's, what's going on here? I'm not getting what I desire. And so it's hating God's choice to elevate some, to raise some during seasons, to uh, lower some during seasons. It's the kind of cycles of life that's obviously natural and we've all experienced. But here's the, the idea is we're told clearly in scripture in Romans 12, that we're supposed to celebrate with those who are rejoicing. And we're supposed to mourn with those who are mourning. And here's what jealousy does, is it flips the script on that. What happens is we mourn when someone else is celebrating. And we celebrate when someone else is mourning. You see, jealousy does some dark things in the heart of man. And here's the, the thing for us as a cautionary warning. As soon as we notice that starting to creep in, where there's some comparison, where there's a, oh, I wish I had that, or I wish I was like him, or I wish I was more like this. All of a sudden, that's the time to call it what it is, call it out as sin in our life, repent of it, turn of it, catch it early on before it has a chance to take root. Much like cancer, it's much easier to deal with in its early stages. We'll see how it progresses in verse eight. And Saul was very angry, and this saying displeased him. 
He said, they have ascribed to David ten thousands, and to me, they have ascribed thousands. And what more can he have but the kingdom? And Saul eyed David from that day on. You see what's going on here, not just annoyed or disappointed. It's literally, he's angry. He's upset about it. Often anger is the first response that we have to jealousy because again, it's a conflicting or confronting God's will. It's saying, hey, I, I, I wanted this. I wanted this playing out and not that playing out. It's, it's, a, it's a, a shaking a fist at God response is what jealousy is. And jealousy, is, is, while it's an accusation against God about his flawed plan, it's also seeing it and saying, I wanted something else. I wanted something better that included me in it. So while they're elevating David's accomplishment over this, you notice his dramatic response. He says this, what more can he have but the kingdom? In other words, uh, they're giving him praise. Why don't they just turn over the keys of the kingdom to him is the dramatic response. And at first you're just like, man, how did he get from here to there so quickly? But you have to have a little bit of an understanding of the backstory of what's going on here, what was going on in the back of Saul's mind. In the back of his mind, he knew he was on borrowed time and that his kingdom was going to be handed from him to someone else. Back in 1 Samuel 15, 28, after Saul disobeyed God, God Samuel came to Saul and told him a really piercing news told him this in 1 Samuel 15, 28. The Lord has torn the kingdom of Israel from you this day and given it to a neighbor of yours who is better than you. Wow. So he has a, a clear understanding that because of his disobedience, there's going to be a transition of leadership and it's going to be a transition of leadership to somebody that's greater than you. So what would naturally happen? Saul would be on the, the lookout, just like, man, who, who is this person? Who, who's getting the kingdom? He would be on edge for sure. And so when he's seeing that this, this, uh, the exploits of David and the praise that he was receiving, and he's right in the back of his mind, he's thinking, who's better? Who's better? You're like, oh man, he's connecting the dots, I imagine. And he doesn't like that idea. He's realizing his kingdom is at stake. And so that's why we're told, Saul eyed David from that day on. What does that mean that he eyed David? Basically, he watched and noticed everything David did and said and the results. See, that's how jealousy works. Has a tendency to be consuming in our lives. All of a sudden, that's, that's all you can, can't, you, once, you, once you turn that, that switch, it's hard to turn it off. It it's becomes, if you think about it, it becomes a habit of your mind. Your mind just always goes there. It's when there's some downtime, man, that's what I'm thinking about. Even when I'm supposed to be doing something else, that's what I'm, I'm thinking about. As reading this week, I found an interesting, uh, a study that was done at the University of Maryland in their school of medicine. They did a little bit of study about people's thought processes and they concluded that the average person, 80% of their thought life included negative thoughts. So 80%, so eight out of 10 thoughts are negative for the average person. And I found it interesting in that same exact study, of those 80% negative thoughts, 
95% of those thoughts were repetitive. Do you, do you follow what I'm saying? Ba basically, the, they had the habit of thinking about the same negative things. It was a reoccurring pattern. That's what happens in our life if we're not careful. That's why we have to understand that so much of the battle in the Christian life takes place in the mind. That's why we're told clearly in 2 Corinthians 10, 5, to take every thought captive to obey Christ. In other words, take ownership of your thought life, to, to have some reign over, to have some check on it. When something's sneaking in, when you realize, man, that's getting way too much attention. Man, that's getting way too much of my affection. That's getting way too much of my consideration throughout my day to say, hey, I'm gonna put that on the sidelines. I'm gonna replace that with different thoughts. We have to have ownership of our thoughts. We can't just go whatever direction that ship takes us. Because as we see from the University of Maryland, it has a tendency to take us towards the negative, towards things like jealousy and comparison and all that Saul is dealing with here. Constant negative thinking leaves us extremely vulnerable as we're about to see in verse 10. It says, the next day, a harmful spirit from God rushed upon Saul and he raved within his house while David was playing the lyre as he did day by day. Saul had his spear in his hand and Saul hurled the spear for he thought, I will pin David to the wall. But David evaded him twice. So what in the world is going on? The first thing that you have to ask is the question, at least the first thing I ask when I'm reading this section, is what does it mean? How, how can a good God send a harmful spirit to Saul? It's important for us to understand this in the context of all of scripture, of what's going on here. Very similar to the story of Job. If you remember, as a sovereign God, Every single thing had to go through the approval process. It had to have his stamp of approval before moving forward. Even anything evil or anything of Satan or of our enemy, the, it had to have his sovereign approval first. And so it's not saying that it stems from God, but approved by God. So nothing crosses your path that our God hasn't approved. And in this case, it's not God's uh, directing about him giving permission for the spirit, this evil spirit, to distress Paul or to distress Saul. It's basically, what's happened is by Saul's willful disobedience on his cho choice to reject God's leadership in his life, God saying, "All right, God, all right, I'm going to turn you over to this." I'm gonna, it's, it leaves us, you see, vulnerable. Anytime we're outside of the protection of God's perfect plan in our life, when we go outside and choose to sin, choose to suffer, you leave yourself really vulnerable to the attacks of the enemy. And that's exactly what we see here. God's like, all right, if you wanna go a life independent of me, let's see where that takes you. And he's attacked by this evil spirit. So that shelter of protection is, is no longer there, leaving him vulnerable. Notice it says the timing of all of this. It says, the next day, I wanted to make, make a, just a, a point of uh, just pausing there for a second because I want us to understand of how this progression of sin works. 
Sometimes we think we have all this time. You know, we can get rain and control over it, the, the jealousy thing. We can have, we can kind of dabble in it. It's not going to have that big of effect. We're seeing here that it didn't take long at all. The very next day for him to shift from doing things he would have never expected to do pre prior to this. Now he's there in his own house and the, this dark spirit that's haunted him in the past, if you remember, he's been haunted by that. That's why David was even in his house playing the uh, liar as a form of uh, soothe, to soothe him. We're told that he raved within the house. What's that mean? Basically, he stewed on it and kept talking about it constantly. Kind of somebody, I don't know if you've been around somebody that just can't seem to get past something. They keep bringing it up. They're, they've been hurt by somebody. They keep revisiting it. They, they're consumed by that thing and they can't seem to move on. And that's exactly what we have in this case of Saul. He's stewing on it. He keeps talking about it. And before you know it, that talk that seemed like it was a, a harmless, just a little bit of jealousy, now it's moved him, if you think about it, it's moved him to a healthy pattern of behavior. And you're like, why do you say pattern of behavior? How many times does it tell us that he chucks a spear at David? It wasn't just a, an instance of like, uh, oh, wow, I, I lost my cool. But man, it's a repeated attempt at murder. How crazy is that? So what's picture what's going on there in the palace is, is David's there playing the liar. If you don't know what a liar is, it's kind of like a, a string thing here. Here's a picture of it. So he's playing that to help soothe King Saul. And all of a sudden, the, this spirit that's stirring in him, it causes Saul to take a spear or a javelin and throwing it at David. Now, here's the thing to understand. As an accomplished warrior that's taken on thousands of men in his career, Saul is no slouch on the, on the battlefield. So this is obviously, as David eludes that two different times, this is the supernatural ability of God providing a rescue for David both different times. But I got to wonder, like after the, the first time that he's chucking the, the spear at David, why did, why did David stick around? Why is he still there? I don't know. That's not exactly a work environment you'd want to stick around in when you have a boss that's chucking spears at you. But we're, we are told that there's two attempts uh, at his life. If you think your work environment is bad, uh, compare it to David's. So two different times he has this encounter, but he's saved by God's uh, kindness, rescues him. But here's the point that I wanted to make in this section was just like, whoa, what happened? What happened to King Saul that used to refer to David as someone that he loved and he genuinely cared about and his concern and had pulled him up uh, 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 and kind of taken him into his own house? Now he's, now he's just from a cycle of sin that just started recently. Here's the song. His heart doesn't like it. He's jealous. He's talking about it. All of a sudden, it's escalated so quickly. And isn't that how sin works? Here, one, one day you're just dabbling in it. One day you're just teasing the idea of it. Before you know it, you're stuck in a cycle and a pattern, uh, new habits being formed. And you're like, where, how, did that, how did I get from here to there? That's why I was saying it's so critical 
That when we see sin sneaking in, we capture it immediately. We confess it. We come clean before the Lord. We have to see sin as the apex predator that it is in our life. So how does this play itself out? It says in verse 12, Saul was afraid of David because the Lord was with him, but had departed from Saul. So Saul removed him from his presence and made him a commander of a thousand. And he went out and came in before the people. And David had success in all his undertakings, for the Lord was with him. When Saul saw that he had great success, listen to this, he stood in fearful awe of him. But all Israel and Judah loved David, for he went out and came in before them. All right, so where are we at in the story? Basically, we've had the Lord's anointed king now in the fit of kind of, you'd call it like this, this place of drunken jealousy where he's no longer in control of his actions. You're starting to see a, a cycle of sin to, to take place in his life. And here's the thing. He's there and he's making these decisions and it stems in something. And we see here in verse 12, What's the root cause of this jealousy? Says Saul was afraid of David. That's really the root issue. He was, he was fearful. Somebody that was committed to self-preservation. Anyone that, that has this uh, me, me, me mentality. Man, when there's the risk or potential of something being taken from us, whether it's position, whether it's our comfort, whether it's our freedom, whatever that is, man, all of a sudden it moves us to some really dark places and those dark places stem in that simple word, fear, fear. We're told that he was afraid of David. Imagine this, the, the king of Israel being afraid of a teenage boy. What is going on here? You see, there's more to it than that. I actually would set, suggest that his fear was actually justified because this, it says, because the Lord, this is why he was afraid, because the Lord was with him, but had departed from Saul. You see, I think that's a, a healthy thing to be afraid of. The idea of doing life without the Lord being present in there, because why is that something to be afraid of? Man, because of actually, actually all the things we're seeing in Saul's life on display, the things that we're vulnerable to, the, the depths of depravity, the sin, the darkness that we can move towards when the spirit of the Lord isn't at work in our life, that should be something that's a scary thought to us. And so his fear in my, from my vantage point was justified. Man, David, he has the Lord's presence, myself, I no longer have it. That's a, a scary place to be. And here's the thing, is operating the flesh, you start to do and, and act out some pretty devious and deceitful things. Basically, there was a, a pattern is now becoming a cycle of sin in his life. Now, at first glance, you might not realize how the, the sin was devious and how it was uh, deceitful in this section of scripture. What's he actually doing to David? It seems like he's removed, we're told that he's removed from his presence and then he's made to be a commander of a thousand. Now think about that for a moment, as I already mentioned. This is just a teenage kid 
that he's making, a teenage boy that he's making into a military leader. The military leader, as he's leading a, a, a group of soldiers, is intended to be leading the charge. That's why it keeps referring to him going out before them. And so basically what Saul is doing is he's sending David out on the front lines of battle. So imagine this interaction. You're, you're, you're David and Saul's like, all right, I'm going to put you in charge of a thousand men, leading them into battle. As a teenager, you'd be like, well, do I need some training for that? Is there, nope, you're just going to be fine. You're going to do great. You imagine that followed with his sinister laugh behind him because he had an intentions of doing everything possible to take David out of the equation. Many soldiers don't come home from battle, especially an experienced one. But here was the interesting thing where once again, the, the, Saul's plans are foiled by Almighty God. Because what this was intended to do was to actually take out David. What it ended up doing was only elevating his popularity amongst the people because he kept on, we're told, kept on seeing success even in this new role that he was in way over his head. Imagine that in that day and age, how quickly the word would spread. And you're like, this teenage kid is leading this group of a thousand men and, and they keep having success. That would all of a sudden his fame. And here's the thing, that jealousy meter, I imagine would just be going up, up, up. That's why we're told that after his success, that Saul stood in fearful awe of David, in fearful awe. That awe would be like, whoa, he has something that I don't have. And that's a scary thought for him. In fact, later in the same chapter in verse 29 says, Saul was even more afraid of David. So Saul was David's enemy continually. You see, he was consumed by this and it leads him, and this is just the beginning of the story of Saul and David. This leads him to foiled attempt after foiled attempt to oppose God's will, trying to take out his replacement king, trying to cling on to what he had, trying to hold on to that. And here's the, the thing is the cycle of sin was established and starts moving Saul to a, just a really dark existence if you do a study on the remainder of his life. It's basically all reason is out the window. He's drunk with jealousy. As Romans 1 describes, the Lord turns him over to a debased mind. Well, my question for us, just as we're wrapping up is, how do you respond to this? What do you do when you find yourself operating in a place that's stuck in this pattern, this cycle that starts with a misdirected heart, then it starts with moving towards anger and it starts to actually influence it. It starts oozing and dripping into our actions and you start doing things that you're like, man, I didn't even know I was capable of that. How do you come back? What's our, what's our solution? I would suggest that our solution is actually hinted at in this section. You see, somebody that is walking with the Lord, that the Spirit is directing them, that the Spirit is in control and guiding their ship, man, they're capable of all kinds of blessings. Think about how David is blessing everyone around him, from the soldiers to the people to the entire nation. That's what happens when we're walking by the Spirit. 
But when we're operating the flesh, the exact opposite. You know, the darkness sets in. You're capable of even murder and all kinds of heinous attempts at protecting what's quote-unquote yours. See, for us, the best thing to do when we find ourselves in that cycle is first, the first thing is to repent. Go to the Lord. God, I am so sorry. I've gotten on track. Forgive me. I need your grace. Give him grace, dad. That's the idea. We need what Chase was suggesting for Alexa. We need to keep coming back to the cross. Keep coming back to the gospel. Keep coming. It's, it's no, the gospel isn't a one-time event. It's something that we need to keep returning to with repentance and understanding what we have gotten is way more than we've ever deserved. Jealousy tells us, wait, I'm not getting what I deserve. Grace is the antithesis of that. It's saying, you know what? I deserve negative and I'm getting this instead. The gospel does that heart work that we're not capable of of our own. And when all of a sudden you start coming back to grace and coming back to in, in repentance, then the spirit has room to work when there's a when we've positioned ourselves in a place of man dependence, a place a position of of gratitude. The Lord's like, "All right, that's someone that I can work with." My hope and my prayer is that this is something that we catch early and often. When we see our heart getting off track, misdirected praise, misdirected affection, mi misdirected uh, desires for something that's not yours, to confess it, come back to him, get back to walking in the spirit rather than in the flesh. Let me pray as we wrap up. Lord Jesus, we thank you again for this account, this story of Saul's life. We're thankful for the opportunity to, to learn and glean from that. The wise person actually learns from others' mistakes so they don't have to duplicate them themselves. Uh, that's my prayer for us as a church, as a family, as a uh, community online, that they would take these as teachable lessons, God, that we would even give more consideration to what's happening in our thought life. As scripture says, to, to take our thoughts captive, to not let them run out in front of us, to, to guide the ship, to lead us down all kinds of dark paths where we meditate and stew on things, where we move towards jealousy, all the cautionary things in this section. We need your help in. We can't do this in our own strength, God. So we confess. We confess our, our failures. We confess our tendency, our, our, our tendency to wander, our tendency to go towards operating in the flesh, God. And we come back to your grace and your forgiveness that we're so desperate for, even in these moments. In Jesus Christ's name I pray, amen.